0: Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's sermon was given by guest speaker, Rev. Dr. Paul Windsor. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. The scripture
1: reading today is from... The Old Testament, 2 Samuel, beginning at chapter 11, verse 26, and continuing through chapter 12, verse 10. 2 Samuel 11, verse 26 through 12, verse 10. Please join me in a prayer of illumination. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds so that we would see you and hear you in this scripture passage. Reveal to us the truths that you want us to hear and to know and to live out. We thank you for your word that is living, Lord. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Second Samuel, starting at uh, chapter 11, verse 26. When the wife of Uriah heard that her husband was dead, she made lamentation for him. When the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord, and the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, there were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. He brought it up and it grew up with him and his children. It used to eat of his meager fare and drink from his cup and lie in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was loath to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared that for the guest who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. He said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. He shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel I anointed you king over Israel and I rescued you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your bosom and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little I would have added much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? you have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house for you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Uh, good morning, I'm uh, coming to you from uh, Auckland and New Zealand uh, tomorrow and from winter. So it's uh, a bit different for, from what it's like for you in Chicago. I want to thank you for the privilege of being with you, uh, uh, particularly my friend Carol and uh, Pastor Ray for their um, invitation and encouragement. Uh, Going on walking tours in a city can be such fun. You get the little guide uh, or the app and uh, off you go. I wouldn't mind taking one right now in Chicagoland, uh, maybe around uh, Wrigley Field, uh, the Wrigleyville area or along the Magnificent Mile or through Grant Park and its surroundings. But alas, uh, I'm not able to do that today. Uh, Instead, I'd like to take you on a walking tour through this passage that's been read. Uh, The tour begins with a picture from Nathan in verses 1 to 4. When we read in verse 11 that the thing David had done displeased the Lord, Nathan pays the king a visit. There's no drama, uh, no shouting, uh, no condemnation. Nathan simply paints a picture uh, with its own caption. Three men and a lamb. There's a rich man uh, described quickly with one phrase. He had a large number of sheep and cattle and so he is defined in terms of his possessions. There's a poor man, uh, described more slowly with four phrases. And we linger with him in his home, his family. And it's, it's very tender. Then there's a traveling man. And so hospitality is expected. Uh, Starbucks hospitality won't cut it back then and over there. Uh, The rich man must open his home and prepare a meal. And then there is a lamb. It's little. It was purchased. It's on its own. It was raised in the family of the poor man. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and slept in his bed. It was like a daughter to him. And the rich man, stocked with flocks and herds, beyond what could be numbered or named, chooses to take this lamb, beloved, numbered and probably named, to make it the meal for his guest. It's so cruel. It's so mean. He took what was not his and treated it as if it were his own. This is the the picture from Nathan. For him, it's a story of just 61 words. It's a work of pure fiction, but so realistic in its detail that David the shepherd is pulled into it. He can see it happening. He knows the characters. He catches the nuance. This is his world. And if the realism in the picture pulls in David the shepherd, then the injustice in it ignites David the king, who also doubles as the judge. He explodes. He is outraged, wanting to correct the wrong and handing out some punishment and passing a sentence. And he does right there and then. This rich man deserves to die even though he hadn't actually killed anyone. He must repay the poor man four times. There he is, King David, so full of compassion with such a strong, clear sense of right and wrong. Now our little walking tour goes a little further into the passage. You see, Nathan is up to something In having to speak truth to power and wanting the truth to get through into the life of a king who has displeased God, risky stuff, Nathan uses a picture, a story, rather than a sermon or an oracle. He chooses to be short and simple and subversive. He slips under the defenses of the king by being disarming and indirect. He's trying to trap David, to corner him. Unknown to Nathan and to David, the narrator helps us see the trap being set as well. The picture is painted with some of the same words from chapter 11. The rich man takes the lamb in chapter 12, just as David takes Bathsheba in chapter 11. The eat-drink-lie that the lamb does with the poor man is what Uriah refuses to do with his wife Bathsheba when David sends for him. Some even see a sameness in the words used for lamb and for Bathsheba. This is the sort of artistry for which the Old Testament is famous. Nathan is laying a trap and the narrator helps us see it being set. And in his rage and righteousness, David falls for the trap. At just the right moment, Nathan utters in his own language just two words. It's the punchline. A hush falls onto the scene. Because in that very same moment, the picture becomes a mirror, a mirror for David. You are the man, in verse 6. Just that one phrase. In that moment, David is exposed. He had identified with the poor man, but then discovered he was the rich man. In that angry, pointed finger, he realizes that three other fingers are pointing back to himself. There is some enduring human nature here. This has been a year or two of of scandals, hasn't it? Big, loud, public headlines, and they just seem to keep on coming. And those who condemn those scandals the loudest can often betray to themselves in the mirror the presence of their own scandal, small, quiet, private, hidden from view. When I was a student a little further up I-94 at TEDS, uh, 40 years ago, I remember a professor making this point. When you point out the sins of others, keep an eye on those other fingers pointing back. Does your overheated righteousness Betray your own battle. If so, deal with it. Don't project it. See, part of David's outrage is fueled by an unease deep within his soul. The anger is fueled not just by the injustice that he saw, but by the guilt that he felt. In that moment when Nathan's picture becomes David's mirror, David begins to see himself in a new light, enabling him to feel his own crimes. Goodness me, in chapter 11, he had been breaking commandments right, left, and center, the 10th, the 7th, and the 6th, as he coveted, committed adultery, and murdered. And the Lord was watching which is where the walking tour now takes us. Nathan takes on the mantle of the prophet. Nathan starts sounding like a Micah or an Amos, becoming direct and bold. The thus saith the Lord stuff starts flowing right in that same verse 6, right after you are the man. Once again, for us, if not for David, the narrator is Nathan's ally in helping us see this. The artistry continues. You see, right through chapter 11, in all his sinning, David is the orchestrator of the action. Twelve times, credible number, twelve times in chapter 11, David is doing the sending. Joab is sent. Messengers are sent to get Bathsheba. Uriah is sent for. A Gift is sent. It goes on and on. He is in control. David runs the show. And along comes chapter 12. And how does it start? The Lord sent Nathan to David. Actually, David, you aren't running the show. I am. Just when David thought He had got away with his sendings. God had a sending of his own to make. One expert sees the word send to be what binds this entire section together. It's a story about power. It's abuse by David and it's true use by God. And, And while we've been chatting here, our walking tour has already begun moving to the next site. A picture from Nathan, a mirror for David, and now from the second half of verse 6, a window on God. He is in control. He is at the center of the story. David missed this fact. It's, It's so easy to do. I'm involved with a ministry called Langham Preaching. Uh, nurturing movements of biblical preaching across the countries of the majority world. And it happens again and again. Open up to a story in the Old Testament. Ask people, okay, who is in this story and what can you observe about them? And God will often be the last character mentioned. People just do not see him in the story. Far from being in control, he often seems invisible. Now as we look for this window on God, let's not make that mistake. Let, let's read looking for God. 1127, the thing David had done displeased the Lord. 12.1. the Lord sent Nathan to David. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. 12.6. Again, I anointed you, I delivered you. 12.7. I gave you this and that and even the house of Israel. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. 12.8. Why did you despise the word of God and do what is evil in the Lord's sight? 1210. You despised the Lord. 1211. I am coming to bring calamity upon you. I will take your wives and give them to one who is close. What you did in secret, I will do in broad daylight. And on and on it goes. You see, there's a, there's, there's a hand behind it all. The David of chapter 11 was learning this lesson again in chapter 12. And it's not just his sovereignty and control that we see through this window. As we've just observed, we see his grace in all that God has given David. <clears throat> and his willingness to give even more Even sending Nathan was an act of grace to save David from himself. And we also see his justice. There is this indictment, isn't there, in verse 9, with the sentence following in verses 10, 11, and 12. And in the verses just beyond our passage, the consequences of David's evil begins to take shape. In fact, one scholar reckons that verses 10, 11, and 12 of chapter 12, uh, this sentence controls the rest of the book of 2 Samuel. But then so much is left unsaid, isn't it? Especially around the victims like Bathsheba, who was so abused and who lost so much And yet in his grace and justice, again, God orchestrates for Bathsheba to be remembered by having her appear as Uriah's wife in the genealogy of Jesus the Savior in Matthew chapter 1. So it is God in all his fullness who takes the story forward. He is sovereign, he is gracious, He is just. And this brings David back to the mirror for a lingering look in 12.13. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Yes, he had sinned against Bathsheba and against Uriah, but the cause of those sins, the root of it all was something deeper he had rebelled against God displeasing him and despising him and his word and again it is expressed in just two words in the language of the day you are the man and now I have sinned against the Lord brief immediate blunt no excuses no projections he has a broken spirit. He acknowledges his sin. And as Eugene Peterson comments, our primary task isn't to avoid sin, which is impossible, but to recognize it. And in that moment, David walks towards a door and a future. A picture from Nathan, a mirror for David, a window on God, and as a result, a door for David. There is a way forward for him in verse 13. In his repentance, his confession, from coveting and adultery, adultery and murdering and abusing, there is forgiveness. And we read, the Lord has taken away your sin You are not going to die. And whether or not our sins are of the magnitude of David's, across in the New Testament, James makes it clear that all of us face a similar battle to David. Each of you is tempted when by your own evil desire you are dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full-grown, gives birth to death. It's what people in a previous century refer to as exceeding sinfulness of sin. And whether it's David's headline scandals or our own small, quiet, private scandals, if sin is not seen to be exceedingly bad, everything collapses. Grace is cheapened. Forgiveness is flicked aside. The whole transforming dynamic of the Gospel crumbles. And our lives, if not our mouths, end up singing innocuous grace. How dull the sound that saved a nice guy like me. A woman who had lived a sinful life and knew it, once rushed into the home of Simon a Pharisee A respected religious leader. Jesus was there and she fell at Jesus's feet. She wet his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair. She poured exquisite perfume over his feet. And just like someone else we've gotten to know today, Simon explodes. He he is outraged. this time it's Jesus who lays the trap with a picture that becomes a mirror and then a window and the offer of a door Simon doesn't seem to make it to the door what a shame but the woman she does your sins are forgiven her exceeding sinfulness her many sins we read are forgiven and as she heads for the door and a fresh future Jesus's words ring in her ears the one who is forgiven much loves much the one who is forgiven little loves little today our world needs people who love much because they know they've been forgiven much because they've engaged their exceeding sinfulness. These are the ones who God uses to change the world. These are the ones who sing truly and deeply with life and with mouth. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me.